This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Genocide and colonisation are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded, this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello everybody and welcome back to Ozpulse Nackpod. We are Australia's foremost political nobodies. I'm Noon and that is Zach. Hey, what's up? And we're also the official podcast of the Ozpulse Shitposting Facebook group, which you can find at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Ozpulse Shitposting. Um, so if you hear us talking about memes or uh, you want to get some flaming hot takes, you can just yeah hop on that page, uh, the, the group, and uh, yeah get into the memes. Um, Zach, do you want to take us into our first story for today? Yeah, so we're going to kick it off with um, some Corona news just to shake it up. Hey, man, I've got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. So, yeah, as everybody I'm sure is aware, the numbers are still uh, rising very steeply here in Victoria. Um, We recorded over 400 cases uh, yesterday, which was a big jump from the previous day, which was Mm. just over 300. So... The numbers really are not good and they're looking pretty fucking scary at this stage. Uh, We are still waiting for the effects of the lockdown to kick in. Um, Theoretically, that's about a kind of a two-week delay from when it's it's announced or from when it comes into effect to when we see the numbers drop, theoretically. But that said, these um, steep increases are still extremely concerning. Yeah. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, the government is encouraging people to wear masks. They're telling people not to leave their suburb um, to do exercise. Um, and people are continue, c- continuing to, to really hurt from this, aside from the obvious direct medical effects. Um, the Guardian reported this week that, that there are thousands of international students who are relying basically completely on charity at this stage to get by. Some of them are only eating one meal a day that are, that are being delivered by uh, Food Bank and some other charities because... There's just uh, no support for them. I think they, that international students got a one-off payment from the government of about fifteen hundred bucks when the when the crisis kicked off, and since then uh, haven't been able to access anything. Obviously, they're not able to get Centrelink or whatever. So mm. um, this is, yeah. I mean, the, the effects are, are brutal. Last week we discussed uh, the police lockdown of several public housing towers in uh, North Melbourne and Flemington uh, in Victoria. And uh, as we as we said last week, eight of those towers are now under stage three restrictions, but one tower is still under harsh police lockdown. The people are still under home quarantine. They can't even travel between the floors of the building. Um, so the, the Victorian Ombudsman is opening inv- an investigation into the treatment Good. of the residents of that tower, which is it's 33 Alfred Street, uh, North Melbourne. And uh, the the situation there is still being made worse by the cops who mm-hmm. are on site. Um, and I just wanted to uh, read a little bit from a Twitter thread from uh, someone called the Coloured Therapist on Twitter. Their handle is at the Therapy by Tigist. Um, and so she was describing a volunteer doing a daily welfare check on a friend in the Alfred Street car park. She would go to the car park every day, call up her friend who was in the tower. The friend would come to the window and wave. 
it's one of the ways that people check on each other at a time like this. Sure. Um, this has been allowed throughout the entire time that the towers have been locked down. The car park was not part of a hard lockdown. But there was a cop shift change. The new cops clocked on, came over and said, you can't be here. This building is locked down. You're not allowed to be in the car park anymore. Uh, when the volunteers said, well, <laughs> we need to talk to your superiors about this, the cops told them, oh, we don't have to give you our badge numbers. Um, Fucking hell. Yeah. That just, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too off topic here, but that happens all the time. But every single time it shocks me and disgusts me. And like, I, I have such a rock bottom, low expectation of cops, but somehow I still expect them to show their badge numbers. Like that is almost literally the single defining feature of a police officer is that they have a badge with a number and that they have to show it to you. Ugh. Right, it's the it's the absolute bare minimum amount of accountability that they could yep. possibly be held yep. to, and still they refuse. Um, so I've got yeah, I wanted to read uh, a couple of quotes from this Twitter yeah, thread please. by um, the cult therapist, and she says a police shift swap can be life threatening outcome for volunteers and residents. The psychological impact is indescribable. Imagine being told you could do something, then you can't, but you know you can, but the person telling you has a gun. When I questioned the officers why they were taking notes, the police officer stated, you're the same volunteer that was being abusive. This was confusing as I wasn't present during the incident and this was my first time speaking to any police officer that night. I guess she must have confused me with another black volunteer. You know what you all look alike. So I just wanted to give a little update on what's still happening in the towers and the fact yeah, that even sure. though we've seen an amazing and inspiring and powerful community response pull together around those towers... That the the presence of the police there is still making it fucking worse, making mm. it dangerous, making it traumatic for the the people on the ground there. Because of course, the majority of the volunteers who were still there day to day are people of color. So anyway, that's what's happening there. Um, <laughs> the situation is continuing, um, and most of the corona discussion over the past couple of weeks has been very focused on Victoria because that's where the cases have happened, but. Um, I guess New South Wales is feeling a little bit left out. And uh, <laughs> uh, now, uh, yeah, the, a bunch of the conversation is starting to focus around what's happening there because uh, there's a big cluster has broken out. Um, it's been connect has traced back to uh, a pub called the Crossroads Hotel, which is in southwestern Sydney. This cluster is of about 42 cases so far. So it's a decent-sized cluster. Uh, and in response, the state government has, uh, they're, they're introducing new measure, measures as of Friday next week. Uh, I don't know why they're not coming. To, well, I do know why they're not coming to in effect, coming into effect sooner. And we'll get, we'll get, we'll get to that. But the new measures that say that pubs, restaurants, and cafes now have to limit bookings to 10 people, which is down from 20, um, which just made me think like, Jesus Christ, they're living in a different world up there. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, oh, new restrictions. Like, the, the Sydney Morning Herald described it as tough new restrictions. Bookings for pubs are down from 20 to 10. Yeah, and fucking hell. <laughs> it's like like here, here in here Melbourne, it's you're like, like... You're literally not allowed to leave. Your, if you want to exercise in a park in the next suburb over, you're not allowed to do that. We will fine you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, venues are still in, in, uh, in New South Wales are still allowed to have a maximum of 300 people. As long as they keep to the uh, you know four square meters per person rule for indoor venues, uh, so that's like you the, can have three hundred people for a dinner party at a footy stadium. 
Yeah. Like that's like roughly the size equivalent, right? Like <laughs> I don't know I don't know how many venues there are that can hold three hundred people with each having four square meters. I don't know how it works out. Um and I wonder if perhaps they might be bending the rules slightly. Um one of the other <laughs> Uh, regulations is coming in is that they're going to have uh, special hygiene marshals to mm-hmm. to look out for people keeping socially distanced uh, within venues, and people are going to have to like sign in when they, if they go to a restaurant or a cafe or whatever. Uh, weddings and that's corporate kind of events. a sensible option to like make tracing easier or whatever. Yeah, and that like, one makes sense to me. It is definitely a good uh, regulation. It's no. It's like no replacement for telling people to stay home. Not to be out having <laughs> 10 people at a dinner party. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, or like, yeah. you know, go to the RSL for dinner or whatever. Um, so weddings and corporate events are also going to be limited to 150 people. Wow. Um, draconian. So that means that you can have two groups of 150 people in the one venue, uh, just not both of them at the same event at the same well, venue. Yeah, well, they can't min- they're not allowed to mingle. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so Gladys Berejiklian, the Premier of New South Wales, was very clear. She said, patrons should be seated at all times. Quote, no dancing, no singing, no mingling. I believe that the bride and groom are excused from the no singing rule. Uh, I think that that is... I think it's been (laughs) made clear that you can can still belt out a little bit of Delta or whatever uh, on your special day. Um, But so all of this... Is despite the fact that, Ber- that, that Berejiklian has admitted, quote, the health advice is that indoor venues with a number of people pose the biggest risk. So I wonder why why are they staying open? I mean, oh, it's just mm. racking my it brain. It just makes Can't no sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What could it be? Very, very weird stuff. So these measures were developed alongside the Australian Hotels Association, AHA for short, Ugh. and the Guardian reports that Clubs New South Wales have also been in talks with the New South Wales government. So those are two peak bodies that represent, obviously, hotels on the one hand, clubs on the other. Um, I'm going to read this quote from The Guardian. The two organisations hold enormous sway in New South Wales politics, despite donations from the liquor and gaming industry being banned in the state. (laughs) Which Doesn't that just tell you so much that they've had to fucking ban political donations from these uh, groups? The sectors that they represent are major employers and significant contributors to the New South Wales budget through gaming taxes. The two groups also continue to make donations to federal and other state branches of the major political parties. So they were they very quickly, as soon as this outbreak happened, they got in the room with the New South Wales government and just started putting the pressure on saying you can't you can't shut us down. You can't close down venues. You know, some businesses won't reopen if you institute a hard lockdown. We need to keep these places turning over money. And But of course, as we know, what actually is going to... Well, I mean, that might cl- close businesses, but what it definitely will is a mild lockdown and then reopening and then having to lock down again, which is what we're seeing in Melbourne. It's just going to, like, destroy businesses that have had to, like, restock and get new stuff and, like, all this other shit. So, hmm. yeah. You sound a little bit like Gladys Berejiklian. Um, hey. But so uh, what she says is, quote, this is a good example of industry and government working together to reduce the risk during a pandemic, which uh-huh. I think is very true. Definitely reducing the risk to the businesses, mm-hmm. reducing the risk to the of peak bodies that trouble. represent those businesses. Yeah. Yes. Uh, reducing the risk to human beings. Uh, I well, you know, it's debatable. 
Um, these measures, by the way, are not going to apply to clubs, like private clubs. They, uh, as long as they stick to the four-meter square per person rule, they can have as many people in them as they want. They already have signing in and signing out practices, apparently. Um, and just as like a little cherry on top for how ridiculous the regulation of the like hospitality and like gaming industry mm-hmm. in New South Wales is, Star Casino was fined five thousand dollars for having patrons mingling between groups. Um, just for comparison, a bunch of people who ordered KFC in Victoria last week were fined a total of twenty six thousand dollars. Uh, by the police. Incidentally, so, I, I ran the numbers uh, very approximately $5,000. That's one pokey machine's worth of profit for like three weeks. Uh, yeah. That even seems low. I guess if like, you're averaging it, out all the time that it's not being used or exactly, whatever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's based on gotcha. the uh, yeah average earnings of a pokey over time. Yeah. Yeah, far out. Like, oh, I mean, that's a fucking joke. But like, as like, it's not... Uh, it's not exactly news that like the gaming industry runs new south wales it's no, no, just right. um wild to see this it's just so much mask off shit during this uh, crisis this is a little um, off topic sorry but um just uh, maybe like six months or a year before we started doing snack pod i had another go at a podcast called the news with noon um and one of the things that we covered was the tasmanian state election in which the gaming slash hotel industry basically bought the election for the liberal party um and everyone was like oh it's it's terrible how tasmania is run by the casinos and shit but like it's definitely not just tasmania (laughs) no um it's just it it was i guess it's a little bit obvious when you're like when the political environment is a little bit smaller uh it's just it feels more more apparent um but like no they're they're obviously everywhere and um new south wales and sydney especially big time um so just before we move on from the corona discussion, uh, I just wanted to touch on a little bit of new like language or discourse that is starting to emerge now, which is the elimination versus suppression conversation. Mm-hmm. So you probably you start to see I've started to see these words get thrown around um, uh, in in the media over the last week or so. So I thought it'd be helpful just to kind of go through what they mean and where people stand on them. So er, the idea of eradication is getting rid of a disease globally speaking no more cases um and the disease itself doesn't exist the virus doesn't exist doesn't exist except in labs basically so we've done this with smallpox for example sure i think we achieved eradication in the 80s um elimination is getting rid completely of community transmission within a region or country so, sure. so elimination that's what's doesn't in New Zealand exactly, and New right. Zealand is being touted as the sort of leading example of elimination. And I actually hadn't realised that they opened up completely like six weeks ago. They completely yeah. eliminated the virus, and they were like, "Hey, yeah, it's we're it's back going. at it again." Yeah, um, and elimination doesn't mean no cases because there's like there's sure. still the possibility of um, people of travellers returning from overseas and bringing the virus, but. It means no community transmission. So that's mm-hmm, what elimination mm-hmm. means. And suppression is kind of what you were describing before noon um, in the sense of, okay, a cluster pops up and we do what we can to contain that outbreak, but we don't do anything generally speaking. Like we don't 
enforce a hard lockdown statewide or nationwide or whatever. We try to suppress the individual clusters. So would that be kind of like how we treat most diseases like measles or like the normal flu that's not the novel coronavirus, right? Like we we give uh, vaccines where we can, people still get it, we take them out of school, we try to stop it spreading... Is yeah, that basically what suppression basic, is? Yeah, and basically because elimination is a, not a realistic target for something like uh, the common cold or measles. Sure, or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, it, as, as we... You know, as with smallpox, we have done it in the past, and other countries have done it with coronavirus. Obviously, you know, New Zealand is much smaller, mm-hmm. um, but, and, and, you know, they instituted much harder lockdown measures mm. well before we did as well. So it's not just about population size, it's about a policy response as well. But so these terms are getting thrown around, in the, and there's kind of like a bit of a general shift in the discourse from talking about suppression to now calling for elimination. There are a lot of articles going around in the ABC and the Guardian and so forth, um, quoting a bunch of health bigwigs, people who used to be you know, in policy positions and that kind of thing, being like, we need to have a policy of elimination now. The Greens have also released a statement saying they're calling for elimination. They don't exactly say what they want to happen beyond they expect it means extending the lockdown in Victoria. Sure. Um, but... Um, Gladys Berejiklian has said that she thinks the population of New South Wales is too big to aim for elimination. Quote, it's not going to happen in New South Wales. It never will. We need to find a way in which we can coexist with the virus. Every time we have an outbreak, we can't afford to lock down, reopen, lock down, reopen. That's no way to live or be able to instill confidence to businesses to keep employing people. Hmm. That sounds to me like an argument against suppression, though. <laughs> and in favor described? of elimination. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. That's exactly what you were saying before, that we're in a, this right. state of flux where, yeah, like it's really hard to shut a business down, open it up, shut it down again, and open up again. More and more are going to stay closed forever. I think that we, you know, we need a hard lockdown, I think. Like, sure. all for the entirety of New South Wales and Victoria, in my opinion. Because I think all of this comes down to the same bullshit mm. argument that we've been having since the coronavirus hit, which is this health versus economy. Totally. Like, dichotomy, which is just such like it's, it's such garbage. And we've gone through why it is in the past. But I just think that these arguments against elimination, like, no, we can't have a hard lockdown because the economic damage is going to be too great. Well, yep. first of all... That shit only holds water if you assume that the government isn't going to support people who are out of work or businesses that have to clo- like yeah, businesses course, that yeah. have to close their doors, which of course conservatives assume that there's they would never dream of yep. like supporting people to survive. Uh, yeah, I, I had I had this just absolutely cooked interview with uh, Jennifer Westacott, who I'm pretty sure is the head of the Business Council of Australia. She was on uh, RN Breakfast uh, earlier this week. And she said something like she was just doing this whole thing that you're exactly talking about the health versus economy thing. Obviously, business council, like, guess what they want? But she was saying, like, you know, mm. we, we can't afford to have a lockdown because, you know, for some people, the economy might just be numbers, but for other people, it means there's no food on the table. And she just had this, like, tone of, like, such smug self-righteousness that she was, like, helping the poor or whatever. But, like, you are the motherfuckers for whom the economy is numbers. That's your bank account ticking up. You are in zero danger of not being able to feed your family. You and also, why does being out of to- work 
mean no food on the exactly, table. Exactly. Exactly. Like, finish that and fucking sentence. Finish the thought. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, and no, that's it. And like, it's and just Mark so Latham like loves to trot out this line that locking down the economy will kill people because of the economic yeah. damage. But finish that yeah. thought, bro. But- why? Why does not having a job mean people will die? People toil uh, yes, for the right to because live. Because you yeah. won't feed them. Yeah. That's why. That's the fucking reason. So, anyway, uh, I think that we do need to lock down. The government needs to pay people to stay home. Yeah. And everybody should get what they need to live without having to work for it, especially since businesses have We're to in the close of a fucking pandemic. in order for yeah. people not to die. I just don't understand why this is an argument. I don't yep. understand why they're still having yep. this conversation. You know, it anyway. to me, it might not be great for the economy if, like, 2% of the population die and another, like, 8% have severe neurological disorders. Just just a, just a thought, you know. I mean, that might hit GDP by more than 2%. Uh, just something for the for the, the big wigs to consider. Food for thought. Food for thought. Speaking of food for thought, Zach, you want to hit us with our next sting? You fucked up. Uh, because this uh, this uh, previous week on Monday, uh, everyone's favorite American donut chain, Krispy Kreme, held a promotion in which they would give away a dozen donuts free to anyone who had a birthday between the middle of March and the middle of July in order to celebrate the company's 83rd birthday. Which, 83rd? Genius. Like, like, just give it wait, till 2022, have an 85th, <laughs> you know? Like, 83rd, no one gives a fuck. <laughs> Um, but uh, the 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 company said that they had planned to give away three hundred and fifty thousand donuts, which is just under oh thirty thousand people having their birthdays. Thirty thousand people going into their stores, and by Monday afternoon, every store in the country had sold out of donuts, according to their Facebook page. Um, and of course, New South Wales police got called, uh, or like the the police got called to like deal with the, these like huge. Swarms Clusters of, of like, Krispy Kreme fiends, yeah, absolutely. Just and, and the article that I was reading about this was quite funny. It was like many people praised the the donut chain for their free donuts, while others complained <laughs> that their local store had sold out. Meanwhile, New South Wales police were like, "This makes no sense. It it quote defies all logic." And like, it just they were so fucking furious. Anyway, yeah, Krispy Kreme, uh, you fucked up real bad. Oh I my uh, like what uh, I don't the think hell? We have any like confirmed cases linked to this yet? But like, oh well, watch this space. <laughs> yeah, fuck. I mean, shit. You've led really nicely into my next story. Now we don't have any confirmed cases yet. But better believe if there's any even the whiff of a link, I'm going to write a full fucking article about it. I'm going to pu- get it published in the Australian. And if anybody tells me that my links are tenuous, I'm going to clutch my pearls and say, "How fucking dare you?" Because now it's time for it was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey! <laughs> and I know I've already done a lot of talking about coronavirus this episode, uh, but I'm going to do a little bit more before we get off it. I'm sorry. So this is. A take from, well, a take, an article from Rachel Baxendale. Who I mean, it's definitely for, a take. It's definitely a take. Writing in, in The Australian, she published an article entitled Coronavirus, Black Lives Matter Protest Linked to Tower Cluster. Now, we've discussed briefly on the podcast before that this is a completely bullshit line of argument being run by conservatives backed up by basically no evidence. There were a few people who attended the protest who later were found out to have tested positive for COVID, but there has just been absolutely no proof that there were any infections that occurred at the rally itself. 
it's that's just the fact of the matter. And so let me read uh, a little bit from Baxendale's article. Victorian health authorities have confirmed a link between two COVID cases in people who attended the Black Lives Matter protest in Melbourne CBD just over a month ago and the cluster of at least 242 cases in public housing towers in the city's inner northwest. But the DHHS has refused to say whether members of the cluster, which include the protest attendees, live in the public housing towers. The confirmation of the link follows 10,000 people attending the June 6th rally. The event went ahead after the Andrews government and DHHS advised people to consider other ways to show support for the Black Lives Matter cause, but backed a Victoria Police decision not to issue fines for those who attended. While the confirmation stops short of establishing the protest as a cause of the public housing megacluster, it demonstrates clear links between the mass gathering, attendees who tested positive, and the state's largest COVID-19 cluster to date. Uh-huh. It also poses new questions about when authorities first became aware of the risk to the 3,000 residents of high-rise public housing towers in Flemington and North Melbourne, who were last week subjected to the harshest lockdown in the democratic world. Well, I'm pretty sure uh, with regards to that last point, we know that they did have warning, and it was... Um... DHHS decided not to tell anyone until two hours beforehand. Like, they'd known for days uh, that this was an issue. But also, like, I love the use of the phrase uh, demonstrates clear links, mm-hmm. um, which <laughs> appears to be a, a strange euphemism for there are no apparent links. Or, like... This entire, like... And the reason I read, wanted to read a long chunk of that yeah, is that yeah. this is an absolute masterclass in... Uh, plausible deniability she -hmm. is just using semantics to tiptoe around what she really is saying with this article i mean it's in the fucking headline and of course very few people are going to read past the headline in the first place sure and so but you know we completely know this is bullshit but just for a little bit of extra proof i'm just going to read a statement from the victorian aboriginal community controlled health organization who say We have welcomed a much-needed clarification from the Department of Health and Human Services, ruling out a link between last month's Black Lives Matter rally to Melbourne's COVID-19 public housing tower cluster. DHHS says it is aware of six confirmed cases who attended the Black Lives Matter protest on June 6, but says that currently there is no evidence to suggest these cases acquired the virus from the rally. None of these cases are known to reside at major public housing complexes. Currently, no known or suspected episodes of transmission occurred at the protest itself, the department says. We, so it's it's just it's you know very clear, very very clear, but the conservative media and conservative politicians just can't stop beating this fucking dead horse. They just yeah. absolutely have to make it a story, and it's like the the idea of linking the tower cluster to the Black Lives Matter protest must just oh it's just so tantalizing to these yeah, people. Yeah, of course. You can hear them fucking drooling behind it. Can you imagine that? Oh my god. Poor black people living in a tower who are the center of one of the biggest clusters in Victoria caused this virus by protesting for their human rights. Wow, it's their fault what a for story! Being killed by police, exactly. So, but I mean, like this shit is just red fucking meat for conservatives. So yeah. this article was retweeted by Erica Betts, who I would say is pretty high in the running for slimiest piece of shit in Parliament. Would uh, you say top five? It's no one's responsibility who their like ancestors are but his granddad was a nazi (laughs) like you know i can't i can't actually blame him directly for his grandfather being a nazi but it's just worth 
remember. Let me, look, I'll say this. It would be much less suspicious that his granddad was, is a Nazi if he wasn't so fucking racist himself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good angle. Yeah. <laughs> he retweeted the article. No surprise here. The BLM marches were not only toxic for what they represented, but also for their contribution in spreading COVID-19. And Labour and Greens encouraged them. They need to take responsibility. Aside I mean, from everything quietly, else there... Labour did not encourage them. Right, right, exactly, yeah. (laughs) Daniel Andrews was very clear that he doesn't care about black people. Uh, Yeah. Yes. Another quote here uh, from Sarah Henderson, who tweeted, Daniel Andrews blames law-abiding Victorian families for doing the wrong thing rather than 10,000 illegal protesters. She doesn't say getting on the bongs, but I think she wanted to say it. We are all equal under the law. Um, Sarah Henderson is, uh, she was an MP, uh, representing a Melbourne seat. she lost it at the, uh, most recent federal election and then managed to slide into a very convenient Senate vacancy. So she's yep. still part of our parliament for some fucking reason. I also found out today she used to present for 7.30, which, um, yeah, totally. Yeah. The, the pipeline uh, I, I is had real. a lot to do with her doing lock the gate stuff. Um, she oh, right, was there you go. one of the liberals who were on side at least somewhat. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's a, you know. Representing her rural constituents. Um, She's definitely not the worst liberal out there, but she's like... Also clearly a piece of shit. Yeah, like she might be the best among them, but she's Mm -hmm. still tweeting this shit. Which, by the way, was retweeted by Q&A. And then they very quickly deleted it once they got flamed by everybody being like, this is a lie. Why are you retweeting lies? Yeah. But so I just think this this is a fascinating example of the conservative bullshit machine in action like Mm. the australian publishes this article which basically is like we're not saying that this happened but it really happened and then immediately it the story gets picked up by conservative politicians who use it to justify their pre-existing racial biases Mm, mm. but you know the center of this you have this journalist who just completely bald-faced denies doing anything wrong so one of the other funny elements of this story is that um a fake apology for the story has been circulating on Twitter. So somebody... Isn't someone who had photoshopped Rachel Baxendale apologizing uh, for it? They they photoshopped like an official apology from the Australian, like a retraction, basically. Right, right, right. And so uh, Rachel Baxendale tweeted that, uh, you know, this fake apology has been going on. She said, the story is meticulously researched and carefully written and the facts within it have not been disputed by the DHHS. Yes, because you very carefully tiptoed around the fucking subject but so she goes on to say regardless of whether there was any COVID-19 transmission at the protest I think it's pretty clear five weeks later as Victoria battles almost 2,000 active cases that it was a really bad idea for 10,000 people to gather even for such an important and valid cause she then goes on to it say reminds some... me of sorry no go on uh, I was gonna say it reminds me of the drill tweet uh, the wise man bowed and uh uh closed his eyes and bowed his head or whatever and, and said uh there's literally no difference between good and bad things you fucking idiot yeah. i can't remember exactly but something along those lines but yeah definitely along those even lines. though we have no evidence whatsoever to believe that this was a problem it was and in a fact problem. that we can trace all of the current outbreaks to the hotel quarantine system i still think it was a bad idea she goes on to say i've got no agenda or interest in proving whether or not the protests spread the virus it just happens to be my job to ask questions, and I'm going to keep asking you weren't until asking I get some questions. Answers. You were making statements, you fucker. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Rachel Baxendale. Get I just the fuck like, out of here. The, 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 the moral, like, bending over backwards in order to, like, justify... Like, she's just avoided saying the quiet part loud through semantics, but it's there in the fucking headline. And as yeah. if, like, this... 
very technical writing around like oh i didn't say that absolves her of playing into this continued racist narrative that the liberals love and racists and conservatives love like yep. you are culpable bro You can't excuse yourself from this because, oh, no, 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 plausible deniability. It doesn't fucking work like that. Nobody, like, just the pure journalist brain of this just fucking kills me. And so, big brain bevening. It's it's some real big brain bevin shit. And just to close it out, I want to read a tweet that I think really sums it up from uh, the COVID guy on Twitter handle at maximum sincere who you should definitely go and follow yeah it's constantly tweeting hot and hilarious takes and he says would prefer it if news corp journos who are piping pure bilge into the brains of australians didn't get on twitter like butter wouldn't melt in their mouth and claim water isn't wet just embrace your identity as a cartoon villain and if that doesn't suit quit your fucking job here here how i could put definitely couldn't have put it better myself uh speaking of piping pure bilge into the brains of Australians. I think it's now time wow. for... I'm talking about segues today. I'm, Hey-o. I'm, I'm talking about multiple segues. <laughs> they say we're not professionals. We're out here doing it. Play that extremely professional sting, Zach. Shit post of the week. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry, Zach. Early on... In the show, we uh, <laughs> we mentioned Friendly Geordies a couple of times, uh, and, and along with Van Batten, I think, you were insistent that we should really try to avoid mentioning Friendly Geordies whenever possible, but this week he has just outdone himself with shit, shit posts, and of course, you know, it's Friendly Geordie, so it's not a shit post, it's a shit post. Um, and first off, I want to say I am a little offended, he... Stole our bit of overdubbing Simpsons bits with his voice, uh, kind of badly. Um, but Rude. appropriately, obviously, enough, that was he... our idea. Exactly. Yeah. No one has ever thought about no. redubbing the Simpsons in history. to be relevant on the internet. No. Um, but the the bit that he chose to redub is the um, it's like the summer episode uh, where Bart breaks his leg and he he turns on Krusty and he's like, "Krusty's away for the summer, so let's uh, listen to some." Ugh classic crusty um and it cuts to like a black and white interview of these uh crusty over uh interviewing someone and crusty says let me be blunt is there a labor crisis in america today and the other guy goes well that depends on what you mean by crisis um and the joke is that it's meant to be extremely boring and not entertaining for kids and appropriately (laughs) enough that's exactly what this uh post by friendly geordies is but also appropriately that uh, is there a labor crisis in America today? Well, it depends what you mean by crisis. That's almost <laughs> literally the contents of this interview, which is <laughs> deeply boring. It's 55 minutes. I watched about 40 minutes of it, and it oh is my God. excruciating. Yeah. I, I, With who? It was real bad. What? Oh, it's, it's, sorry. Yes, I'm, I'm getting that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Friendly Geordies interviews Christina K. Keneally, uh, the... Uh, <laughs> Shadow Immigration Minister for the Labour Party, um, formerly uh, probably not corrupt uh, Premier of New South Wales. Was she Premier? Uh, anyway, she, uh, she was... No. Uh, no, no, no. She was high up in New South Wales. Um, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's no banter between them. These are very different people uh, coming together for this attempt at an interview. And Friendly Geordie seems to be trying to do like a meme interview, um, but doesn't commit to it enough and the first like third of the interview is him trying to be like memes um but like she doesn't get it and 
he doesn't really kind of lean in that much. Um, and she's just trying to do a normal media appearance, uh, but doesn't understand what memes are or who Friendly Geordie is, apparently. Um, her son was also there in the room watching it, and he seemed to be a big Friendly Geordie's fan, which is cute. But anyway, He was definitely dressed he, like one. He, Geordie's, is a terrible interviewer. I mean, <laughs> like, he seems to be trying to give her a soft, interview but is just so bad at it that the whole thing is awful and the first question is basically like why didn't people like your fabulous opinion piece in which you solved everything to do with australian migration oh um, my god and that was the talks, one that we broke down on the show we, we gave it blessed take we did we did her, her, her main point is that we shouldn't have temporary migration we should only have permanent migration uh but <sighs> Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, I think there's some shitty issues with it. But yeah, she talks for like several minutes about it in which he appears to just like completely be bored and not paying attention, have no idea what she's talking about. Um, but as far as softball interviews go, I just wanted to play this little clip that really sums up the whole thing. And unfortunately, in this clip, they have a little bit of a vibe. Like they, they kind of bounce off each other very slightly. And I just want to warn you, the rest of the interview is nowhere near this entertaining. All right, so <laughs> let, let's, let's play that. Um, that was a pretty comprehensive argument. I was trying to think of ways to puncture holes in it, basically just for more content and like a aha moment. But like, dude, I, I can't think of anything. It's just, well, it but, makes too much damn sense. And well, can I add to it? <laughs> Thank you. Um, this often happens in media conferences. The journalists just go, yes, Christina, you make so much sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, um, I bet you dream about that. Oh, I do. <laughs> um, Gross. It's so gross, right? And, like, he's just completely shameless about the fact that he's, like, giving her the dream interview of a lifetime. Um, anyway, she, uh, there was a number of problems with this. Um, she keeps talking about, like, the problem with the government's immigration pre-COVID is blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but we're not pre COVID anymore, are we? Like, this is a very different world of immigration now. Like, maybe you shouldn't keep harping on about your blurst take from a months ago before it stopped being relevant like i, I don't know well, she's um, just always like she like she's had basically one line since she's become shadow home affairs minister mm. which is to basically say that the government is fucking up our border security her entire yes. her entire approach has been to try and outflank the government from the right on, the right. on border yep. security and yep. like she's talking about asylum like people rorting the asylum seeker system she doesn't seem to be interested in talking about like offshore detention or indefinite immigration totally. detention well actually well, because because obviously like the labor party is complicit in all of that it's funny you say that because um one of the things that she talks about how awful it is that peter dutton's doing is like how long it takes to process uh asylum claims and um for one thing she's like 90 percent of people claiming asylum are fake and they're just here on a rort so you know that's some classic fucking citation shit. fucking needed on that yep um but she's also like the the timeline that it's taken to process asylum claims is blown out it can be three to five years under peter dutton and friendly geordie's is like wow that's so long uh how long was it under the gillard government again and she kind of gets this like brief like hunted look on her face and she's like um yeah much shorter and then continues moves on like hmm, no, it's right. who, was she... it who started the offshore refugee jails in which we have indefinite detention of these asylum seekers was it julia gillard don't answer that oh hmm. too late yeah um, <laughs> but I, like i also love the idea like the premise of that 
argument like, yeah, all these people who, by the way, none of them are genuine asylum seekers, get to be here for like four or five years on bridging visas while we process yeah. their claims. But under us, we'll kick them out of the country way faster. Like, yep. Labor hacks. This this is your champion? This is your hero? My goodness. And this, I think, is really the, the main juicy piece of like journalistic content that came out of this interview. One Christina Kennelly has not seen Blade Runner. Which, I'll just let that sink in. But I gotta one tell of the you, other man, things... I care that... about that deeply. I... <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. I know you do. Um, the... the... The interview was awful, but what really <laughs> upset me about it, like, I, I have no no expectation of Friendly Geordies or Christina K. Keneally to be any better than this interview, but what I was upset by, maybe I shouldn't have been uh, in retrospect, was the YouTube comments. And <laughs> normally I'm upset on YouTube comments because they're like, oh, the Jews did 9-11 or whatever, but in this case, <laughs> it was people being, like, polite and positive that upset me. So I'm just going to read you a few that oh, really Friendly Geordies has the most earnest fucking fan base they think that they're these like irony poisoned sarcastic cool kids and they're just a bunch of like completely guileless 14 year olds being like i love to be engaged in politics that's exactly it all right so here's one it's generally upsetting that a quote internet comedian news corps title is doing a better job than a journalist as a journalist than the actual journalist but like no he isn't <laughs> You just like him and assume that that means that he's doing well. Okay, so here's another one. Nice to see someone doing the job the MSM should be doing, offering a clear alternative view with sources. What sources? There's no sources. What view? Like, what job is he doing? There's no no alternative to just providing a platform for labor policy. They're doing a very good job of that themselves. The second most powerful immigration minister in the country. And, And, like... What good job is he doing? He didn't really interview her. He, like, made two weak attempts at jokes, and she talked for an hour. Okay, and there's <laughs> another one. There was a commenter whose profile pic was, like, that classic, like, Tinder man in the bathroom taking a photo of his shredded abs. Mm. And he he said... I am immensely ashamed of myself, down to the core, for not caring about politics earlier, let alone the donkey votes I have done in the past due to the lack of care. I wish I had access to information such as this much earlier to decide for myself. There was no information provided in this hour-long interview. What about this could possibly have inspired you? I don't understand. I mean, that is perplexing. But look, here's the thing, and this is one of the few arguments that I feel like you could make in Friendly Geordie's favor is that he Uh is like getting people engaged in politics who otherwise wouldn't care. And I've seen this come up a lot. Mm. It smacks to me a little bit of like... uh, People who are like, Harry Potter books are poorly written and don't really contain anything of substance. And other people are yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but they get kids reading. And But I mean, like, I just kind of wish it was something else. I just really wish, like, I, I, I feel like we can do better. Or something. Yeah, but I think we could do better than Friendly Geordies, honestly. And, yeah, like, yeah. what is it that engages the, like, it, there's nothing in this video, as you say, that, like, I can't see anything, you can't see anything that would galvanize somebody who didn't give a fuck about politics into mm. suddenly giving a fuck after hearing, like, a labor hack just announce their policy positions. But on the other hand, like, I guess 
there is not really anyone else filling that void, apparently. Like, he is doing something like a good job in that respect mm, of, like, mm. taking well, I- an audience who have come for the memes and directing them towards politics. I guess I feel that's something I feel kind of conflicted about. That's all I'll say. On that Even note, I, I have hate a challenge for our listeners. Uh, if you know anyone who likes Friendly Geordies but doesn't listen to our show, make them listen to our show. That's my that's my challenge to you, listeners. All right, that's the end of that extraordinarily shit post of the week. Uh, Very Zach, shit would post. you like to take us on to our <clears throat> First Nation story? Yeah, so um, uh, this week we're going to talk about uh, Tane Chatfield. Uh, so there, there is a... There was a New South Wales coronial inquest into his death, which ended this week. He was a Gamilaroi, Gumbangir, and Waka Waka man. In 2017, he'd been held in remand, which means you know without a trial, for two years at Tamworth Correctional Facility in New South Wales. He was found unconscious in his cell, and he died in hospital two days later. He was 22 years old. So his death was ruled a suicide, but his family is very skeptical about that. The prison sure. reported that he was found uh, hanged in his cell, uh, but other inmates said that they'd heard him being beaten by guards earlier that day. Uh, and his family also said that he was in good spirits at the time. Uh, mm. He was confident about being found not guilty um, because the day that before he was found unconscious was the first day of his trial. So he'd been held for two years with no trial and he'd just started his trial. I've got a quote here from his sister, Marisha. She said, I know my brother, and I know he was on good terms with his family, his friends, and his partner. The court was looking good for him. He was coming home. That's all he talked about doing. Uh, I'll quote here from his lawyer. I was absolutely gobsmacked. After Tane had given his evidence, I was mightily impressed, and I told him so. I went over to the dock and said words to the effect. That was brilliant. Um, And uh, a close friend of his and cellmate, um, Darren Cutmore, uh, corroborated this, saying that Tane Chatfield was feeling really optimistic about getting out of jail soon. But so on that night, uh, when he came back from his first day at trial, came back to the prison, Chatfield was separated from Cutmore. They were cellmates and they were separated. And, he, and Chatfield was placed into a different cell with another man called Barry Evans, who had only recently come to prison and was really struggling. And Chatfield himself was really upset about being separated from Cutmore because they were really good mm. friends. But uh, I've got a quote for, here from Evan who said Evans, who said that um, Chatfield comforted him even though he himself was upset because he could see that he was struggling being new to prison. Yeah, he said, right. quote, I'm sorry, I was in a state and he settled me down. Um, he was addressing uh, the Chatfield family directly um, when he was giving evidence at the inquest. But so... You know, Chatfield was obviously a guy who, yeah, he looked out for the people around him. Yeah. Uh, But his family say that prison really, really changed him. Like, of course, you know, and you know, we can't imagine what that what what that would be Mm, like. But they say, mm. especially, it was being brutalized repeatedly by guards that started to really have a huge change on his uh, personality. Um, And I've got a quote here from his family, and they said. Jail is supposed to be for rehabilitation, but our men come out angrier because of how corrective services victimize them. But it doesn't determine the person that Tane was, because regardless of what his criminal records say of what, or what people say in court, that's not the person we know. 
We know a, very, a completely different person, a very kind, enthusiastic, loving person. That's the person we will always remember. So the coronial inquest found a bunch of issues with the prison, which I'm sure is no surprise to anybody. In the evening after he came back from his trial, he had two seizures. On the day he was found, he had another one. He was taken to hospital earlier that day and discharged and then returned to the jail and then he was put in a cell by himself and at no point during any of this was his family told. A quote here from Marisha, he'd never had a seizure in his life. Why wasn't we called? If he so-called had a seizure, don't they think that's serious enough to let us know that he was in hospital? If he did have a seizure, we would have been down there with him. So the nurse unit manager at the time said that she didn't even know about the seizures mm. when she decided that he was fine to be in a cell by himself because his hospital discharge papers were missing. Uh, and in the inquest, it was revealed that she had actually received an email earlier in the day about his seizure, but she says that she didn't check it because she was busy treating other patients. And maybe that's true but even if it is that's just that's a total indictment of the system that you yeah, like yeah. the the recent medical staff is stretched so thin that they aren't able to keep tabs on people's mm. medical condition i mean that's you know i think that's pretty damning um and uh, the inquest heard that uh tain wanted to call his family after going back to his cell but the guard said no he couldn't and i've got another quote here from his lawyer who said an inmate said that he could hear Tane screaming and swearing for a short period of time, a few minutes, and then there was silence, and then it was some time after that that they heard the news about what had happened. So there's lots of... lots of very suspicious inconsistencies and administrative failures going on here that culminated in this situation. The inquest hasn't re released its results yet, obviously. They've mm -hmm. only just finished hearings. But you know you can understand why the family was very skeptical of the of the straightforward account of just straight suicide that the yep. that corrections new south wales put forward um i want to read a quote here from his from tane's mum nicola she said our son was not born to get a death sentence in the prison through this inquest i've learned that tane left a paper trail that allows total strangers to tell me about the final hours of my boy's life but that paper trail still doesn't give any insight into his beautiful personality or the fact that he was a young man locked up on remand and fighting for his innocence. Um, which, yeah, I mean, imagine having to learn about all of this through mm. documentation kept by prison staff. You know, this is how you learn about the last hours of your son's life. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's inconceivable. But so, you know, the family have been super active um, in their ad advocacy around this, you know, very like as soon as the uh, as soon as he died, they were like, this doesn't stack up. They push for the inquiry and they've, mm -hmm. they've got mm -hmm. it. Um, and they're calling for a few things. They're calling for prisoners to be able to contact their family if they need to, which just sounds like so fucking basic, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reason that they can't is because of our, like, fucked approach to prisoners where we basically think of them as no longer human and no longer deserving of any kind of uh, moral consideration or whatever. Like, no. And it's yeah. like a a any possible thing that they could want is viewed through the... Mo the worst possible lens like there has to be an ulterior motive why do you want to contact your family why and would also, you like you do contact that? Th this 
thing that creeps in of like um that that should only be available for like good people or whatever like for some reason bad people don't get have the right to talk to their family or whatever not that i'm saying tain's a bad person obviously i'm just saying that like that's how we conceptualize prisoners and that like we immediately are comfortable with stripping them of like the basic humanity of being able to talk to your mum or your sister um just because we and like tain wasn't even fucking charged right like he was on remand and was looking like he might get out not guilty but nonetheless he still gets the same like I think he was charged Complete. but not tried. But yeah. Sorry, tr- as in like uh, it had, yeah. Yeah, no, like not convicted is what I meant. Sorry. Not convicted. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, and, but that's it. And that's I think what his mum was saying. Asan was not born to get a death sentence in the prison and he didn't yeah. even have to be convicted. It like just charging right, right. A, an indigenous person and putting them in jail can be a fucking death sentence and it was yeah. detained. Yeah. So one of the other things that they're calling for is to remove hanging points from cells. Um, and this was a recommendation of the Royal Commission into Indigenous Deaths in Custody, but his cell still had a hanging point in it. Yeah. So even though like we the, we have known for so long what to do to even to, to reform the prison system, and obviously it needs to be abolished completely but sure. uh, you know according but to in the meantime the, in like, the meantime still reforms the, we can make like yeah. the system has already like gone through the process of deciding for itself what it needs to do in order to not kill as many indigenous people in custody and they can't even fucking do that um but so they are you know the, the family is hoping uh that the coroner is going to make recommendations that keep ab- aboriginal people out of prison yeah and hoping that you know that this that this inquest will have long term positive effects, or you know at least stop Aboriginal people dying in jail. Um, and I'm just going to finish up with a quote here from from Nicola again. She said, "Through this inquest, we have seen plenty of people trying to cover each other's asses, but no one involved has come to me and said it was disgusting how my boy died. I've only got one sorry throughout the inquest, but sorry does not bring back his life from a prison system in Australia that kills our people." We need change now, and we need justice. Um, yeah. And I think it's important as well. We're, we're, you know, I'm talking about um, this particular case this week, but only a day after the, the inquest into Tain's death began, another death, death in custody was reported in Western Australia in the Acacia prison, a 19-year-old Noongar man, and it was the second death in two months at that prison. Um, and as well this week, an inquest has been announced into the death of Veronica Nelson, who's mm. a Gundij Mara, Jarjabarung, Wiradjuri, and Yorta Yorta woman who died in the Dame Phyllis Frost Correctional Centre in the west of Melbourne. And that is just an, uh, absolutely another just totally fucking heartbreaking story. Mm. So much like neglect and disre- disregard and dehumanization by yeah. prison staff. There's no date um, set for that inquest yet, but we'll. Um, I, I imagine be following that story mm. as it develops. So, you know, as as Tane's family said, you know, the the we have a prison system here in Australia that kills Aboriginal people, yep. and you know, it's it's change and justice are just so far past you, so far past you. Mm. All right. Well, um, we were going to have. Uh, 
a mains now, uh, which was going to be about the the palace letters, but um, we're already reached an hour basically so um we're gonna instead do that for our bonus episode um we do a bonus month, uh, episode every month and um if you are a supporter on patreon you get access to that um so yeah uh, that should be coming out sometime this week if you're interested in the palace letters and the whitlam dismissal and sir john kerr and all of my hot takes about that um but zach why don't we just finish off the show with a little positivity yeah, uh, more of that good Ospol shitposting tonal whiplash. Tn. Yep. Maybe we need a like a Emotional sting, a little whip, whiplash, a, a little whip crack. Like, oh uh, yeah, that could be funny. Although I don't know if it's gonna help the like. So to cut to paper over the emotional <laughs> whiplash, let's play this flippant sting. Um, might yeah, not help. yeah. But anyway, um. It's Positivity Corner, and two weeks in a row, I'm giving it to uh, somebody fucking up hilariously, which is a little mean-spirited for me, and kind of against the purpose of the Positivity Corner, because I wanted to put it in the show each week to, like, just talk about one good thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, well, I've, I've got one little corner of a posy corner at yeah, the end, no, give so me don't your, worry, I've got something your, nice. All right, you're going to follow it up? Yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right, cool. You give us the mean I'll blow through my my one one. first. So I want to give shouts to um, friend, confidant, member of my inner sanctum and friend of the show, Jack, for the tip-off on this one. Thank you very much. So this concerns a government inquiry into class action lawsuits, and we have previously mentioned how weird it is that this is happening just roughly around the same time that there's a massive class action brewing about robo-debt, but... Yeah, Yeah, Coincidence. No, total coincidence. Um, So this... Uh, class action uh, inquiry is going to be investigating whether Australia's class action industry needs tighter regulation to ensure, quote, fair and equitable outcomes for plaintiffs. The argument here basically being from the libs that law firms are just conducting class actions in order to make money. Well, and also that they are a profit-making venture that like overseas investors are contributing to the fund that conducts the class actions and then they get some of the payout so it's become like a uh, yeah uh, an investment or that's the claim at least yes um but i mean just like the libs are on the side of the little guy really they just want to make sure that plaintiffs are actually getting their money's worth yeah 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 of course yeah 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 um labor on the other hand have described the inquiry as quote a sham set up by the liberals to deny hard-working australians any chance of defending their rights against large companies and governments with virtually limitless resources hmm. uh which sure sounds pretty accurate to me to be honest but so on the first day of the hearings there was a submission from the menzies research center which is the liberal party's think tank who do pretty much what you'd expect if you have a quick squeeze at their website it's like oh everybody's overreacting about coronavirus here's a picture of angus taylor um sort of like i don't know they really just strike me as like a shitter weaker version of the ipa who are more explicitly tied to the liberal party yeah Hmm. um and uh i've got an ongoing joke which just hasn't been picked up by that many people and i'm not sure if it's ever gonna sort of take off that uh, every member of the IPA is a wet little pickle baby fresh from the jar because they all they're all so young and wet. You know, they all have so much fucking like uh, gel in their hair that they've combed down. And look, I'm I think they it's a funny both, bit. Am I going to keep they, doing they all, it? 
look like both of the guys who run the poker podcast that I listen to. Uh, yeah. Just everybody's big, saying that. I've heard that from energy. multiple people. Yeah. <laughs> but so to continue this failing bit that no one seems to like, mm-hmm. if uh, members of the IPA are wet little pickle babies, I think members of the Menzies Reach Center are like slimy little weenies from a can, essentially. Mm, that sort cocktail of, weenies from yeah, a bean marie. Ex- exactly. Well, well like, you never you ever get sausages in a can? You know, you can no, buy... No, that's disgusting. Yeah, Frankfurt's like in a can. <laughs> Literally, yeah. and you pull one out and they say something like, the hand of the free market is just a force of nature or whatever. Um, <laughs> so the... the <laughs> the, the Menzies Research Center's chief of staff is a guy called James Matthias, who, please look Mathias. up a photo of this guy. We're going to go with Matthias? Uh, he pronounces it as wienerly as possible. <laughs> um, so, and just please look at, like, you'll, you'll know exactly what I mean when I say that he's a slimy wiener. He's an absolute quintessential young uh, liberal and he, in fact, ran for federal parliament at the age of 21, which... Um, Who would do something like that? <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> I mean, he actually ran noon, so... Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, his bio on the Menzies Research Center um, page just says that, like, yeah, he ran for parliament, he lost, but he learned a lot, and that seems to be his only qualification. <laughs> anyway, so this dude... Which you know, lines he, up with what the rest of the story. <laughs> absolutely. So he's barely... Par- I don't know what age he is now, but he may as well be 21. Um, and... He is the chief of fucking staff of the Menzies Research Center. But so, okay, the very first line of the Menzies Research Center's submission to this inquiry claimed to quote a judgment on class actions by federal court justice Michael Lee, basically trying to make it seem like this federal court justice thinks that class actions are just cash grabs. Yep. But the quote wasn't from one of his judgments. It was from an unrelated article that he was quoted in. And if you actually read the judgment... The judgment says, is, it says, and I'm going to quote from it here, it says that although litigation funding is about putting in place a joint commercial enterprise aimed at making money, mm-hmm. that does not diminish the importance of litigation funding in allowing these class members to vindicate their claims against the Commonwealth. So he still sure. thinks that they're important. And this little inconsistency was picked up on by Deborah O'Neill, a Labour MP, who is on the... Senator. the Labor Senator, who, thank you, who is uh, part of the committee. Um, and I just wanted to play a little clip of her um, just pointing out this inconsistency to James Mat- Matthias Matthias. Sure. Have you read Justice Lee's full judgment from the 5th of June 2020, where His I Honour approved the, the settlement of one of the PFAS class actions? Uh, no, I haven't read the full one, Senator. So you've quoted Judge, Justice Judge, Lee, judgments. but you have not read his judgment. Uh, judgments are very long, some hundreds of pages. Is that the case? Mr Matthias, I, I, I encourage you not to make up answers on the spot. I have... I have not... No, Senator, I have not read the full ju- um, judgment of Justice Lee. And that is because you thought it would be too long. Well, in fact, it's uh, 37 pages. The bad editing at the end of that clip is in the clip. That's not our bad. Apologies oh, okay, for sure. that. Um, so, yeah, you know, that was a little feel-good moment. Um, later on, Matthias Matthias also quoted some incorrect statistics that he got from, quote, a presentation contained within a PowerPoint from a law firm. Um, and later on in the hearing, and this is really my favorite part, uh, Matthias tried to ask O'Neill a question of his own, 
She responded, when you become another young senator for the Liberal Party, you might be able to ask me questions. But at the moment, you don't have that opportunity. Um, and yeah, just just go and look at a picture of this guy. Look at his smug little wiener face and um, just be glad that somebody wiped the smirk off his face this week. As should yeah, happen sorry, I- to all young libs. Okay, well, um, I just, uh, yeah, as you said, that was kind of a, uh, a mean positivity corner. I definitely <laughs> think it was a positivity corner. There's nothing not positive about this guy getting dunked on <laughs> by the Senate. Uh, by dunked the, into, the, uh, into the boiling pot. Uh, yep. Um, but my positivity corner for this week is, it's not really Ozpol. It's not really shitposting. It's the Babysitter's Club. Uh, this is a new Netflix series, uh, Netflix original. Um, there's one season of it out at the moment. The new Babysitter's Club just came out in the last couple months. And it is fucking fabulous. It is some of the best <laughs> TV I have seen in probably years. Like, it is just great. It's definitely aimed for the, like, Babysitter's Club target market of, like, 9 to 15-year-old girls. But it is... Is so is some of the best content of all finish, time. Including this show, Zach. Including <laughs> this show. So anyway, I, I just want to yeah give a hearty recommendation to, to all listeners to go check out The Babysitter's Club. Um, really worth your time. Excellent. Right. I will. I'm going to. Please. All right. And, and to finish off, um, I wanted to uh, say thank you to all of our snack pack, our loyal followers and patrons. Um, thank you all so much for supporting the show. It's really lovely. Um, if you want to hear me talk about the palace letters uh, for half an hour or so, you can sign up at, for a dollar a month at patreon.com forward slash OzPolSnackPod, and you can uh, get that bonus episode this month. And I also wanted to say thank you so much for uh, the reviews that we got this week. We got two reviews. Uh, well, one and a half reviews. Um, <laughs> one, uh, and we love reviews. We check them all the time, and we only get them, like, very intermittently. So if you're listening and you... Um, you would like to support the show a review is a really good easy way to do that without giving us any money so the first one is from peter blake uh whose review five stars crunch crunch and it goes like this noon and zach radicalized me and if that's not a recommendation i don't know what is so thank you peter and i'm glad um yeah and this other one is uh a re-review four stars and this comes from yoram lupsum which is still a very funny name who who previously they said are it was back. a they're back they're back uh, they, again they for more. It was a good a good show, but the food puns were forced. They said, "Yeah, um, I think they said good analysis, but the jokes are stale." The Absolutely jokes are stale, roasted. That's right. Three stars, and still to my still still to this day. Well, now it's my second favorite review because <laughs> it was my now favorite review. Now we've got review, a new one. But now, Laura Yoram Lipson has come back again for round two. And they say, "Well." Noon and the Dunce redeemed you in my eyes to a point. The puns in the main <laughs> show are still forced. So, yeah, thank you. Well, there wasn't any food puns this episode because we uh, ran out of time and skipped our main. So um, I hope you enjoyed this one, Yara. We're going to bed You hungry. can pretend it was from you. I love yeah. Noon and the Dunce redeemed you in my eyes to a point. To a point. But yeah. they've, they've, like, yeah, they upped their review. There was three stars. Now oh, it's four. Star. So when they say yeah. to a point, they mean by one by one point. To a point. Hey, that's a one single a point. Thirty percent increase in stars. That's that's, a, that's that's huge. And like, here's the thing. Regular listeners, we love you. We appreciate you. But here's, but you know, here's the thing. We know you like us. It's not. It doesn't cost you anything to come and listen to the show, right? Like to you, it's not work. 
to Yoram Lipsum to have stuck with it after listening to the mm. show and being like, these guys are not funny. I do not like their jokes. I'm only here for the hard-hitting analysis and journalism, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> they stuck Something we strongly it. deny providing. Yoram yeah. Lipsum is like slogging through Ospol Snackpot being like, these fucking, oh, I don't know about these guys. They stuck with it. And they listened to Noonan and Dunstan and thought, you know what? I hated this slightly less. And they came back and they gave us another review. I'm, I just, I, I can't. It's commitment. I, my mm. heart is, is fucking overflowing with gratitude for Yoram Lipsum. And look, hey, if you're still listening, fucking thank you so much. And I hope that we can get that last star off you. Okay, mm-hmm. we're we're gonna punch up our jokes. We're gonna do better. <laughs> we're gonna get that five stars from you, Lauren. Please, please keep. It's listening. gonna happen. Uh, just before we wrap up, I wanted to say um, uh, we put a bunch of work into the show. Uh, we spend hours writing notes and reading articles and deciding what we're gonna talk about. Uh, and Zach spends hours and hours and hours editing every week because uh, I have. Uh, Cleverly avoided having that skill, so he has to do it. But, um, uh, you know, it means a lot to us when we get uh, just even this little bit of feedback like a review because it's so nice to know people are out there listening and that uh, our work is appreciated. Um, it, it so, really, it's huge. It's huge for us, for real. And, like, I'm not just doing this to shill for a buck on Patreon because, like, whatever, like, that's nice, but it's not the most important thing. What really means a lot to us is knowing that people listen and enjoy it. So, um, I would just love to ask anyone who hasn't left a review to please leave a review just so that we, you know, we see you. Um, but also please share us with a friend. If you listen to the show and you like us, um, you probably have friends who are interested in Ospol shit posting and or memes and or friendly Geordies. Um, we don't have a huge listenership, but, um, I think, yeah, we, we would love to have more people listen, um, so yeah, if if you like the show, uh, do us a favor and just show us to one friend. Just recommend us, or like sit them down and be like, "Hey, I'm listening to the show. Listen with me." Uh, if you're in lockdown with your housemates, force them to listen, but in a nice way. All right, <laughs> I think that's us lovely. for the week. There will be, and yeah, one more reminder that we do have bonus episodes which you can access for signing up to our Patreon for as little as one US dollar a month. And this month we're talking the Palace Letters. Previous months have been deep dives into uh, QAnon and. Uh, we did a, an explanation of how a bill becomes law as well. Mm. If you want to get some of that wonky knowledge up in your brain as well. So, yeah, those ones are fun and even a little bit looser than what we do here. So if you're interested and you want a little bit more Snack Pod, please do check it out. Thank you so much for tuning in. That's amazing. Fuck Cops Crunch Crunch. There we go.